Amen. Good morning. All right. First, I was excited. Good. Good morning. All right. Uh, First Corinthians chapter 12 is where we're going to pick up. Um, as you've heard now, Pastor John mentioned, the end of the message, we will do our takeaways, right? And, and just to give you kind of what you're looking for, what is something you hear in the message that you want to apply to your life this week, right? So that's kind of what we're looking for. So we encourage everybody to bring a notebook or a, a journal, or there's a note sheet in the back of the chairs. Uh, there's Bibles in the back of the chairs, underneath the back of the chairs, if you need a Bible. And we are in 1 Corinthians 12. In fact, I can even give you a page number. <clears throat> However it worked out, my Bible's got the same page number. Page 959. All right. Can you start my timer, Tim, please? Or we'll be here all day. All right. We're on issue number nine of ten issues in 1 Corinthians. As we look at the, the book you and I call, or the letter you and I call 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth a letter. It's a, it's a correspondence gone back and forth, and 1 Corinthians is the first one we have in our Bible. 2 Corinthians is the second, right? But it's not the first letter that he's written. In fact, the history with Paul and the church in Corinth go back to him in Corinth, sharing the gospel, seeing people come to faith, and then kind of beginning or starting or planting the church there and handing it off to elders and then leaving. And then he stays in touch. Being a guy who has pastored multiple churches, I stay in touch with leaders and churches. I just talked to Pastor Vinny this week, which I haven't talked to in a minute. Many of you know him. And, and, and there's this relationship that is forged by being in a church together. And there's a relationship when you disciple other pastors and you, you pour into them, you want to see them succeed and do well and their churches be healthy and glorify God and people come to faith in those places. And so Paul is staying in relationship with this church. Now they've got some unique issues and we've worked through some. Some are following false teachers. Others are, are letting things like sin uh, go un, undiscussed or unchecked, if you will, like rampant sin, like lifestyle sins, things that, things that are done that like you, you label, like this is this person, like this person is defined by this thing. Last week, we even saw division in the church as they come to what may be the most sacred moment in a, in a worship service, communion, right? That, that, that holy kind of set apart time where we celebrate being one together because of the body and blood of Christ. And so the overall themes have been unity and purity. Looked at the unity of the church, they've looked at the purity of the church and the church's purpose and how they care for one another. And they've been talking about belonging or being members of that church. And so what does it mean to be a member of a local church? So let's give you kind of a snapshot in June we brought, brought on our first 50 members. Like, we covenanted together our first 50 members, right? As we worked through a couple things, it shook out to about 45. There's 35 people meeting today for the final membership class. They're pursuing becoming members, right? And so, as we, you know, get on the other side of this, there's 75 maybe-ish members, right? And, and what that means is there's going to be about 75 people that have covenanted together to live together as a church should live. But what does that mean, right? And so today actually speaks to that. So here's kind of a, a main idea. Members of a body, that's the language Paul uses. Paul calls the Corinthian, per, Corinthian Christians members of the same body. Membership is formally belonging to one another in Christ and the call of all Christians. God asked this question um, one time in, in a, in a when the members are getting together, do we think everybody should be a member? Well, yeah, eventually, right? Some, that, that should be everyone who calls himself a Christian. They should formally belong to a local church. Jesus taught that way. Paul taught that way. And so that couldn't be an expect, expectation. And that doesn't mean that everyone in the room here, excuse me, that everyone in the room here should be a member right now, right? Maybe you're a guest. Maybe you're new here trying to figure out if this is the family you want to be with. Some are not followers of Jesus yet, and they're here learning about that. That's great. But should every Christian belong 
in a covenantal way to a local church, yes. And the language that Paul's been using all along is calling the local church a body, right? And we define this from the beginning all the way up. Church means the local gathering of covenanted together Christians, right? Church is not the building, like I have a bad habit of saying, telling my wife I'm going to church, right? Like just going to that address, right? Going to church does not mean what we're doing right now. This is our worship service. But what is our church are the people that formerly belong to one another. The church is a people. It's a gathered people. And so we saw this last week. When you gather, when you come together, this is how you do communion. That was last week's message, right? And so what does it look like to belong to a local church, a local group of people following Jesus? So 1 Corinthians 12, starting chapter, uh, verse 1. It says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. 12, 13, and 14, these three chapters are a very long conversation on one topic, right? The opening issue, the first issue of following false teachers was four chapters long. Now, you can't cover all of that in one shot, not within the time frame we have, right? So you have to kind of pick and choose all these things we say about the issue, what are the most pertinent to us here today? And so we will do all of 12, some of 13, and not even get past to the end of 13, right? So if you have questions about the rest of it, by all means, see me. I think these will be the things that are most relevant to us here today. So we talked about spiritual gifts. Now, here's what he's saying. It's, it's, it's pneumatikos in, in, in the Greek. Like we use, uh, I'm going to just go with a guy illustration first right? Pneumatic tools. You know what that is, right? Air-driven tools, right? Tools that you hook up to a compressor, and they do the job for you versus like electric, right? For the rest of us, like pneumonia is a, is a thing that exists, in our, is an infection in our chest, right? Things like that. So it comes from the Greek word pneuma. They, they pronounce the P on the front of the N. We don't, right? And it means either wind or breath or spirit. When he says, I want you to understand these spiritual gifts, right? Pneumatikos is this. I want you to think like that pneumatic tool that only works with air going through it. It's a spiritual gift. It's you, but only you with the spirit blowing through you. You with me? So here's what he's saying. I want you to understand this. Now he's going to rattle off some issues they have and some gifted things that some of them are pursuing and others are not. And those are not necessarily our issue, but we have some similar things. So bear with me as it comes together. Verse 2, it says, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one's speaking in the Spirit of God. So notice, speaking in the Spirit of God. So as you talk, the Spirit of God blowing through you. No one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So there would be a spirit-empowered declaration or saying or speech or, or, you know, a sentence said by the Spirit through you. Now, that doesn't mean that anyone, an atheist, could say the words, Jesus is Lord. But what he's saying there is you can't say it and mean it and live it without the Spirit inside you. And there's a, there's a distinction between a spiritual gift and a human gift, even sometimes if they're the same thing. Uh, Jacob led uh, worship last week. Jacob tours in a band and does things, and, I, and I've seen pictures and videos, and, and it's one thing, sorry, I just, you're here, so there you go. So, uh, you know, he's like, next time I'm in the back, dude. Yeah, so uh, there's one thing when he's on stage, right? He, he, he acts one way. He, he's somewhat of a rock star. I don't know if you know, but you're just throwing that out there, right? He's a rock star. But when I see him on stage here, especially when he's leading worship, He's a different person, different venue, different thing. Music is not the same thing as worship. Different skill set, even though you would think guitar and, and, and singing and, and the band and all that is similar, it's true. But worship is fundamentally different. And you can't lead worship without the spirit flowing through you. Can't teach. You can tell funny jokes or cute stories or do something in entertainment. You can't 
teach at a, at a, at a level that, that changes the heart without the Spirit, because I don't have that ability. I can't fix you or, or change you or, or open your eyes to the gospel, only the Spirit of God. Spiritual gifts, different, right? Verse 4, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. A sub-theme today of Paul's is diversity and unity. And when he says there's a variety of gifts, there's a variety of things the Spirit does through a person, right? There's a variety of ways you can serve in the church. There's a variety of activities, even ways you can serve under that same ministry and do something different. There's a variety of, there's, there's diversity in that area. But then he says, but the same spirit, unity, right? But the same Lord, unity, but the same God who empowers them all and everyone. So I want you to hear, I want you to read along with, they're going to do verse four and five again, but I'm going to swap words out. Now there are diversity of gifts, but unity in the spirit. There are diversity of service, but unity in the Lord. There, there's a diversity of activities, but unity in God who empowers them all and everyone. You with me? There's a variety of things, a diverse way that, that the Holy Spirit empowers people to be a church together. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make that last part. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring that together in just a minute. You'll see that what the purpose of that is. But there's a lot of ways the Holy Spirit can can, can blow through you, right? And then there's a lot of different areas of ministry that you could participate in and, and use that, that spirit-empowered giftedness within you. And then there's a lot of activities. There's a lot of things within each ministry that can be done, and there's a, a lot that the church needs where the, the spirit can flow through you or blow through you and use you because it is one spirit for one purpose, Right? And we're going to find out that purpose is the local church in just a second. But before we get there, I want you to hear this. We are designed to be better together. Okay? Our problem is we rarely want to fully belong to a local church. It's gotten worse over time. We become more individualistic. We become more consumeristic. Right? So we want to be individuals. We, won't, we don't want to be a part of a, of a larger thing that, is, that we say, okay, the whole is bigger than, than me, right? That this is more important than me. We don't want to do that. And, and, and we, we've become more consumer-driven. We come to take, not come to give. See, the, the gospel's the opposite of that. Right? The gospel is the opposite. In fact, it's, it's the very fundamental opposite of taking, but it's God giving. Right? When sin entered into human history and permanently broke us to where we could not reach out to God, we were incapable of seeking God because of sin. God said, you'll never be able to come back to, you'll never be able to be holy because you're broken, you're, you're sinful, you, you're, you're dead in your sins. So God came to us in Christ, right? So, so Jesus, the word, the eternal creator God, Jesus became human. If you've been following along on Wednesdays, you know that the Redeemer had to be fully human and fully God. And last week, the, the Redeemer, why do you have to be fully human? And then this Wednesday, why did the Redeemer need to be fully God? Yes, we read those in church but we spend an hour to, we spend about a half an hour in a meal and then an hour together on that, mostly, and kind of like what we do with our takeaways, mostly in that small group, where we get to play it out. See, God became flesh. He gave himself for us, and then he came and, and sacrificed for us. He lived in human flesh. He, he lived with all the things that you and I have to live with. He got hungry, he got tired, he got frustrated. I mean, he was around people, so for sure he had issues, right? <laughs> Not you guys, you guys are perfect, but especially you. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so Jesus came and then sacrificed himself and, and gave himself, died on a cross, 
gave his life for us, and then, and then overcame that, rose from the dead because he is God. Right? All of that to reconcile broken people to a holy, eternal God. So the church is who we become upon transformation, upon the gospel transforming us and us becoming a part of a local family, a family of families, as we call us, right? Generations Family Church, we are a family of families. Whether you're single and have no kids, you're married, your kids, you have great-grandkids and none of them in your home, it doesn't matter. We're a family of families. That we are better together, but most people don't want to give up themselves or other things to be a part of something bigger. Because it's sacrificial, but the gospel is sacrificial. Jesus sacrificed himself. God gave his only son as a sacrifice for us. So the gospel is kind of an upside down or, or antithetical or backwards way of living because it is the opposite of living in a flawed and, and sinful and broken world. It's Jesus redeeming us. So we're designed to be better together. In fact, we're designed to be together. I would just say this. We don't function without a church. That we're designed to be a part of a church. Meaning a covenant, kind of committed, fully a part of a church. Our struggle is we don't want that. Verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. If you've done any discipleship here, like the Ogden book, that's a memory verse. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So to each, all Christians, if you're in Christ, this is true of you. To each. Manifestation of the Spirit means that gifts or, or the Holy Spirit shows up is visible in you in some way. Here's what's key. For the common good. They are for building one another up here in your local church. Right? Now, if you're a guest here today, you're a part of another local church, great. Then it's to be done there. Right? The idea is to each of us, if you're in Christ, this is true of you. To each of us is given a manifestation, a presence, a, a the Spirit shows up, but it's for the common good, right? It's not for my good. It's not for your good. It's for the common good. It's for the good of the church. And so just kind of summarizing that, all Christians are Spirit-empowered to benefit the whole church. So today our question is, what does it mean to belong to church, or what is membership in the local church? So here's our next slide. And all these notes are in your app. If you go look under notes or message notes, they're here. The gospel creates diversely gifted people who are to disciple one another by using their spiritual gifts to build each other up in their local church, right? The gospel creates a diversely gifted people who are called to love one another, care for one another, encourage one another, edify one another, all those things by using their particular spirit-empowered giftedness within the local body. And the idea of it being different, that yours is different than mine, is different than that person, is different than that person, whatever it is, is that means that we have a lot more giftedness within us. I was just talking to somebody this week who I think is one of the more naturally outgoing, um, I would say evangelistic people. We're just talking about what that looks like. From the time I met him until now, just what that, how I see that, how he sees that, and he has a giftedness I don't have. See, Kyle, I didn't even say your name. That was good. I didn't even out him like I did Jacob. That was totally cool, right? So subtle. So anyhow, but like how there are gifts that I don't have, right? I don't have Jacob's gift. I don't have Alice's gift. I don't have Kyle's. I don't have John. I, I just don't have these same gifts, but we're not intended to be the same. God doesn't need another Jeff here. He's got enough on his hands with just one, right? Don't laugh. You're hard too, right? but he makes us different, that we might make one another better, right? You might ask, well, what if I don't know what my gifts are? I'd say, well, let's try some stuff, right? L let's look at that. Let's, let's investigate. Let's try some things. Well, what if I don't have enough time to serve in the church? I might suggest you need to reprioritize things, right? If we are called to be, if all of us are called to be a part of this, then that means it's a priority, right? And that, means, that might mean you need to aim at it. 
Pastor John was talking about giving earlier, tithing earlier. Nobody naturally has an extra 10% laying around that I know of, right? Nobody has extra dollars they just don't know what to do with. We all find a purpose for them, good, bad, or otherwise. It's a sacrifice. It takes reprioritizing. But it's a sacrifice based on the idea that God sacrificed for us first, and we sacrifice, or we, we respond, or we obey as just a response and love to Jesus, right? And what if you're, this is, a, this is a question that I think more people should ask, doesn't get asked enough maybe, but what if your gifting requires more maturity, right? See, some gifts in the church require more maturity in order to use them, right? Not everybody can stand up here and lead us in worship, right? Not everybody can stand up here and teach. Not everybody should lead a, a community group. Not everybody should be a women's leader. But everybody should aspire to lead or serve in their church and, ready or not, parents, you're called to lead in your home. And so what if your giftedness requires more maturity? Well, then get some, right? Like, get with the church, grow, be discipled, mature. It, maturity isn't always age. It isn't always just time, it's growth, right? And you can grow. Verse 8, for to each one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Well, here is Corinth's problem. What, what is going on within the local church in Corinth about 1,900, 2,000 years ago is they're elevating some people with some perceived gifts, and then they are ignoring other people who may have something different going on, some kind of other way that God, through the Spirit, empowers them. Right? And so they're, they're treating some this way, and they're treating others over here. Right? And Paul's point here is that diversity and unity, that the giftedness is necessary together. Now, there's a a few things that we're not going to get into just space and time here. But I just wrote this down. Like These gifts may have existed in the church, or they may have existed with the apostles only. The apostles might have done something that Corinth was trying to replicate. We're not exactly sure. He's not that clear. And he kind of says things on both sides of some of the conversations. So it's, it's unclear what they're doing, except what is clear is they're elevating some things over others. Make sense? Some of these gifts may be available today, some may not, right? There are things Jesus did that I'm not able to do, right? There are things that Paul did that I'm not able to do, right? That, that sometimes that, that God used a moment, a prophet in the Old Testament, an apostle in the New Testament, or at its height, Jesus, right? To do things to establish a message or the messenger that they were from God, Fast forward, we have the entire Bible for us to, to tell us and, and to establish us and to teach us what's right or wrong. We, we don't need somebody turning a, a staff into a snake and picking it back up again like Moses did. Fun. Clearly a party trick, but not necessarily a gospel thing, right? So some may exist, some may not. And this list does not contain every gift possible. In fact, other lists say other things. Some very, uh, maybe even undernoticed, right? Administrative or, or hospitality or, or other things that are just as necessary. And so our modern day version, when, when, the, when people are thinking like the church in Corinth, they're elevating people like you might see on TVN. And I'm, I'm not saying that as a positive thing. Hope that is clear, right? So the televangelists and the, and, the, and the things and just send me your money and I'll heal you or I'll pray for this napkin and send it to you. Well, I mean, it's all those crazy things we see on TV. Somewhere, there's somebody who appreciates that and is paying for that. He's saying, that's not good. Because somewhere else, there's a widow with very little money, who's more generous than most. Don't miss one giftedness because you think this one's flashy or important. We have 
in the modern day church, especially in America, like kind of a celebrity culture around pastors, authors, worship leaders, right? All along, he's been saying, don't do that in the church, you're one. You're diverse. Your different giftedness is your strength. Don't elevate one over the other. Verse 11, he says, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So two things from this verse that are important. They're all given and empowered any gift that might reside in you because of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, uses you for any giftedness is given by the Spirit. He, the Holy Spirit, gives them away as he chooses, right? That, that anything you have is from the Spirit. And then he gives them out. He gives this giftedness out. He gives a, an ability, an empowerment up to a person as he chooses, and it's all for the church's good. It's all for the mutual growth and discipleship and love and care of one another. Verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. He transitions out of what people are gifted to do, and he moves more to the point here. Now, he, he's, he's saying about how these things now work together. So if one person over here is a really good, um, is, a, is a dad who's really good at doing family worship in his home, well, that dad or that dad and mom or whatever that might be, might be used to teach another family who doesn't know how to do that and isn't doing that and recognizes, hey, the Bible's calling us to do that, but we're unsure of how to do it. Well, then we use this gift set over here for the mutual good, Right? We have teachers that teach. We have small group leaders who facilitate small groups and, and, and walk through passages of Scripture. We have all these things going on. We have administrative people who, who make sure that everything I think of actually can happen, right? Because without someone else making sure it gets done, it often gets lost. Because I'm not gifted that way, right? And that doesn't mean I don't want it, but that means that sometimes when we, when we set out on this path that there's a lot of components that have to go into it, and somebody has to make sure all the steps get done so that the church gets from here to there, right? I know people come in during the week and clean and do things that nobody else knows of. But when you show up and there's not cracker crumbs on the floor, there's a reason, right? And that level of humility and service and the things that are done behind the scenes, they matter just as much as someone who stands up here and plays a guitar and sings, or someone who does something you'll never know that they do. They're done for the building up of the church. So there's two important words here, and, and, and Paul has used those throughout this letter, and I brought them up along the way. Last week, we pressed into one of them. It was body, right? So the body is defined as the local church. When Paul is writing about being members of one body, it means you're members of one committed local church. You're committed to belonging to one local church, Right? Members are the people who formally belong to it. He used that language now for the last 11 chapters. Today's a little different. Body is used about 50 times in 1 Corinthians, most of them referring to the local church. There's 20 of them in this section alone. right? So he kind of zeroes in on what he's been talking about. And so members of the body is what we would call membership. So I don't love the word membership because membership today um, gives a different idea. Like I'm a member of Sam's Club or Costco or a baseball team or a motorcycle club or whatever, right? Like you can belong to a bunch of stuff. Membership in the local church is different. You don't pay a fee, get a card, right? Or, or go through something and, and, and it, this is different. And so when we talk about membership in the local church, we're just using biblical language because it's the biblical language, right? We're not trying to reinvent it, but we have to clarify what we're talking about, right? So membership can give an odd impression, but it's the biblical term, so it's important for us to stay with what the Bible says. Just because some of you don't know what a deacon does, but yet we raise up new deacons, brought on two last week, right? Just because you don't know what the term means doesn't mean we, don't, we change the term. We stay with the biblical term and, and teach what it means, right? 
And so our question today, what does it mean to be a member of a local church, to, to belong covenantally, formally to a local church, right? Verse 13, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. So again, what does it mean to be a local church? Here's what he says. There's three things he says. You're, you're baptized, which means you have to be a believer, right? That responding to faith is the first step. And then the, the first step of obedience, once you, you recognize like, hey, something's changed inside me. God has done something within me, and I want to follow Jesus now. And then the next step you should do is to get baptized, right? To, to profess faith to your church and get baptized. And those are prerequisites to actually formally belonging to a church. In order to belong to a local church, you have to be a follower of Jesus. And just that first step of faith and, and baptism. And those things come with a reality. The second one is that you have the Holy Spirit to empower you. The very promise of baptism is that the Holy Spirit lives within you, right? We use that verse from Acts 2.38 all the time, that repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit, right? Not you might, not I hope, you will, right? To each earlier, to each follower of Jesus, to each person in Christ, is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We just read that verse. That's like the theme verse for most of today. You're gifted by God for the collective good. And here, this, you're brought into, this would be the third thing, you're brought into a church to belong together with others who are different. And it's the differences that make us better. Right? We're not a homogenous, kind of one monocultural thing. The idea is that we're brought into something where we bring our giftedness, which is different, where we bring our backgrounds, where we bring who we are, which is different, but we're united around the single most important thing in our life, which is Jesus. See, if you're uniting around something else and you're more committed to something else, that's the thing that you worship. But in order to be a follower of Jesus, you lay those things down and say, I'm going to unite with others around Jesus, and that's what we call a church. And so believers who are baptized, who are, who are empowered by the Holy Spirit, gather together with, with the others who are like that to be a local church. The word church, as we've talked about in this series, is ecclesia, it means gathering. It doesn't mean building, doesn't mean worship service, it means the gathered people of God, or assembly is, a, is another term that you can translate it into. Verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Right? The problem in Corinth is they didn't value all the people in their church, they picked and they chose which ones they valued. Oh, this one does this thing over here, which we really appreciate, we value them, but this person over here does something different that we don't appreciate as much, we don't value them. The problem at Generations Day is we typically don't value the rest of the church as necessary for our faith. We don't see us in need of others. I'm going to say we're desperately in need of one another. Right? We, don't, we don't come to faith, and, and Jesus did not design our faith to be lived out alone, or even within our little family. And, and that matters, that we need one another to navigate the world we live in. So we've been asked this question, what does it mean, or what is membership in the church? So here's our next slide. Formally belonging to a local church, membership, is about understanding that others are necessary to your faith and the calling of Jesus on our lives, right? That others are necessary. It doesn't mean just other teachers, other elders, others, all the others, I used this example a couple weeks ago in uh, the makeup membership class that they were just talking about uh, a recent baptism and, and how that person came to the church through somebody else. And sometimes those of us who've been walking with Jesus for a long time have lost that passion for sharing Jesus with other people. Or maybe we've kind of started to live in a bit of a bubble and we don't have that overlap with other people. And that I love those stories where people bring people who come to faith in Jesus and are brought into the church, and I get to see this play out. Sometimes we need those people that are newer to faith, that are still excited about sharing their faith, that still want to live in a world with a bunch of people that don't know Jesus, 
We need them to remind us who've been walking with Jesus for a long time that that matters. That the gospel going forward is the whole reason we're still here. If it wasn't for that, once we came to faith, God could just take us. But rather, he's got a, a purpose for us. And that purpose we need one another for. So we don't just learn from the older wiser, we learn from everybody in the church. We learn from different giftings, different passions, we learn from different places of life, different backgrounds, all of it. Verse 15, it says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. For if the whole body were an eye, where would, the be, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? I love Paul's sarcasm a lot because it's like my love languages, but, but he just makes these ridiculous points because sometimes it, well, that's what we need to hear, right? Like if the whole body were an ear, that's a problem, right? And he just reduces it to such a simple understanding that, listen, I don't know how many body parts we have, right, with you know, at the cellular level or even at the big picture level. I don't even know, right? But I know I want them all, right? I did look up tonsils and appendix because I've been told, well, we don't really, yes, we do, actually. <laughs> one holds on to good bacteria in your gut and the other one's a filter. Aha! Just because you can live without them doesn't mean you're better off. Just because I might be able to live without you here in the church does not mean I'm better off. I'm better with you. I may not understand how or why or, or what that all adds up to, but I know that I'm better with you, that we are better with one another, and that that matters. Verse 18, but as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each of them as he chose. If all were a single member, what would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Right, so this is purposeful. Notice this, you know, because we all probably think we're at generations because we, we chose to be here, but actually God says, I arrange the members, the parts of the body as I want to. And, and that may not be an assault on your personal will, it might be, but it could just be, hey, listen, I steered you here because I have a need for you and your gifting here. I have a need for you. You bring something to the table here, Right? And the diversity here, I mean, he just says, if all were a single member, where would the body be? Right? And it requires the entire church to work together in order to accomplish the mission of Jesus in our community. Right? It requires all of us in ways that we don't even understand yet. Verse 21 says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. I just want you to, just want you to look around the room a little bit. I just want you to understand, I want you to look at people you don't know, and I want you to realize you need them. Like your hands need your feet in order to get to wherever they're going to do what they got to do. It's that critical that we need one another. So I like that we're kind of in a half circle. I planted a church in Huntington Beach back in 04, and we, uh, we, set, we almost were in a complete circle. And there's a, a couple reasons. One is we get to see one another and remember that one another matter, right? And another is like when we sing, we sing those songs of edification. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. We can actually see people. See, church isn't a service or a building. It's people. And it's nice that we can all see some people. Verse 22 says, On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable and on those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow great, greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Let's just say he's speaking about the parts of your body that your bathing suit covers, okay? He is saying there are some parts of the body that we give greater modesty to. There's your family-friendly version of that. Which are more presentable parts do not require, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. He says, there are parts of you that are more displayable and parts that are not. But that doesn't mean that one is more valuable or less valuable. 
right? That, that there are some things that might be the forward-looking kind of face of the church, and there are other people that are in the backgrounds, and that, that does not give one a higher honor than the others, that we need all. I want to read verse 25 again. It says that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. No division is another way of saying that there may be unity in the body, unity in the church. We talked about how Christ, how Jesus came and gave everything to reconcile us to God and, and one another, that he builds out of all of us, he builds a, a body, right, a church. I just want to go through these three verses really quick. Romans 3 says, For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So here's some things we have in common, right? We're all equally sinful and separated from God without Christ, right? Yeah, we know some people have done some things that, are, that we treat as worse in a community or in culture, and that's fine. I get it. But we are all equally separated from God by our sin. We are all equally incapable of pursuing God on our own. Next verse is the very next verse, and it goes on and says the opposite. It says, and are all justified by his grace, meaning Jesus' grace is a gift, or God's grace is a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Not only are we, only, not only are we all equally separated from God by our sin, but we are all equally reconciled to God through Christ. Equally incapable, equally in Christ, right? They were all equally reconciled to God. The third one is out of 2 Corinthians, the book that follows this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In Christ, we all equally have the opportunity to be transformed by Jesus, by God's Spirit blowing through our lives and transforming us into the likeness of Christ. Equally sinfully separated, equally reconciled to God, equal opportunity to be transformed. And the difference, honestly, is living in the gospel, right? doesn't matter how far you come from. It matters you lean into Jesus. You will be transformed. Verse 26 says this. If one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. He's saying we should be so connected to one another that we share in our sufferings and joy. That when a young woman shows up and she's pregnant, that we're celebrating, that we feel that joy. In the same way when someone suffers a loss, that we feel that grief. That we should be so connected, those of us that formally belong to one another, that we should be so connected that we feel the highs and the lows with one another. Right? And that you, as, a, as a, a person either learning about Jesus or beginning to follow Jesus, should desire that kind of community to live our faith out in. And that we should be such a community that, that you could see the benefit of that. Right? That we live together in such a way that it's attractive. So remember during worship, I asked Alex if he could kind of show the difference. And I was, I was over here, we were singing that song three weeks ago or whatever it was, and I just recognized that some of it is what we would call a worship. So worship is a category, right? And under worship, there's a lot of ways you can do it. You can sing, you can pray worship, you can say whatever, right? You can, you can, you can live your lives to bring glory to God. That's worship, all kinds of things. But when we're singing, there's awful, also different kinds of songs, right? Some are songs of confession. Some are songs of celebration. There's a an entire book of the Bible called Lamentations, plus there's a bunch of psalms of lament. There are songs or psalms of mourning, right? We're not very good at that in our culture at all, but it does exist. Others are of edification. I'm going to put that slide up. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. So Alex already said this. We're not speaking to God to turn his eyes upon Jesus. We're not speaking to Jesus for sure, right? We're speaking to one another to turn our eyes, right? collectively, and the, the way it's written, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will go strangely dim. The things that we tend to give our lives to that are really not worthy of us giving our lives to will kind of dim or fade, right, in the light of his glory and grace. See, part of being here in a worship service 
is that we are edified and encouraged by one another. And maybe you're in a place where you need to hear it, or maybe you're in a place where you can say it. But that's why we're all here at the same time. See, the church is a gathering. It's a people that gather together regularly. And and Scripture clearly makes the case that every Sunday is not what we're talking about, but more. Right? We have a hard enough time getting people here every Sunday. But we're talking about a community that lives life together seven days a week, right? That we have relationships and family and, and friends in the church that, that, we, that we know that we, we can go to any time of the day, any day of the week, right? And that doesn't mean that we don't just, we have some times that are just you, you and your, your biological family or within your house, but that we give ourselves to the others in the room, that we are more committed to the people here that we make the whole greater than ourselves, the individual. And that the church becomes a family of families. I've said this a couple of times, but I remember as we were first working through this, I was saying something and it wasn't being heard. It wasn't being understood by the way I was saying it. Well, what's different? What if somebody does not want to become a member? Can they still come to church? Well, of course they can still come to church, right? And what, what does it mean if somebody, you know, what about this? What about that? And so well, then what's the difference? And it's just the language of family, friends, and guests, right? Like those who belong here, that have covenanted together, that have gone through the steps, belong like family. And we should treat one another like family. And there are those that are pursuing that right now, that we're just calling them friends, and that we desire them to be family, for sure. And then we have guests. We have people here that, I mean, I just talked to a woman last week who are not a, not a believer yet, but is learning, Right? There are people who are, who are newer here, and they're kind of testing waters. Is this a place I want to call home? Family, friends, guests, right? We desire that everyone would be. Scripture desires that all Christians would formally belong to a local body. That's the entire three-chapter kind of emphasis here, that belonging matters. It's first learning that we need that because we don't naturally believe that, and it's learning that we also give because we naturally desire to just consume. But once we flip that over, once we get that new lens of the gospel, we see that we need it. Verse 27, now you, remember what I said about you, right? What, have, what do I say about all the yous in the book? Anybody, somebody's been listening. Plural. Plural, you plural. All y'all, if you're from the South, right? So you, plural, I want you to hear this. You, plural, are the body of Christ and individually members of it, right? Paul is writing to the membership of the church. He's not writing to the first-time guests when they gather. He's not writing to the people that are just testing the waters and seeing. He's not doing that. He's writing to the people who formerly belong, who he's been engaging with back and forth over 10 separate issues. And he's telling them, he's told them at, at, at one time, like the members, he's writing to the members of the church to begin with. That's his, the, his audience he's writing to. And he doesn't say the pastors or the elders when they're in the prior chapter where they're, they're, they need to walk with a guy who is being incredibly sinful. He calls the church, the members to do that. He's been writing to them that this plural you is all that belong and that individually we are members of it, like an individual body part, like a heart or a foot or the opposable thumb or whatever it might be, that we all fit in a body and that we all serve and have a purpose. So becoming members, to belong to something, you typically go through a process of some sort. The natural parallel that Scripture uses is marriage. Marriage between Christ and the church, or marriage between man and woman. And it's not that marriage is used as a metaphor to teach us about the church. It's that the church is the thing that existed and we're given marriage to understand it. Does that make sense? There's not this parallel of Christ and the church to build up our understanding of marriage. And I thought it was that way for years. Oh, I can learn about how to be a good husband from Jesus. True words, not the point. The church is the thing we're supposed to understand and marriage is the thing to help us get it. So you go from unknown to friend to dating to engaged to marriage. 
And what it is is a redefinition of the relationship. And there's typically a process, right? Whether that's just the dating process or the engagement process or if it's premarital counseling, whatever it is, there's a process, right? But I want you to see the expectation. I want you to even hear it from Jesus himself. Here's Jesus in Matthew 16. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter on this rock. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. On a, on a clear confession of faith, is what he's telling Peter, I will build my church, right? The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. You can read that two ways. You can read that the church universal, which is true. You can read that the church local, which is true. Jesus is using it openly for the first time ever, calling his followers an ecclesia, an assembly, a group of people who are called out of culture and called to one another. That's what it means. Two chapters later, Matthew 18. It's talking about going to a person you have a problem with and, and taking the problem directly to them. And it says, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, the implications from the church, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. What's the implication? Every Christian is, by design, called to belong to a local church. A place where you can go, and, and you can be so connected that evidently you can have some problems with some people. That you're close enough to where somebody else might offend you. But there's a way to walk through that, right? And, and this, is the, this is the breakdown, and we know this. Like Something will happen, and the last thing we, we want to do is go have that conversation with that person. But 99% of the time, that conversation isn't all that hard afterwards, and it works it out. Sometimes it isn't. But that the church is the place that is strong enough to handle that. The expectation from Jesus on forward that if you're in Christ, you should be connected, committed to a local church. Verse 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and miracles, and gifts of healing, helping, administration, various kinds of tongues. Again, very different list. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. So the Corinthians are elevating certain people. And I think they're elevating certain people in certain ways that are not true. Paul goes on to talk about that later. But some maybe are calling themselves apostles who are not, and some may be doing this, some are not important. People are being elevated based on their perceived gifts. That's the idea, and it's destroying the unity of the membership of the body, the unity of the church. It's destroying that because some are being celebrated and some are being pushed out. We saw the same thing in communion last week. The people weren't valuing others, and so they were doing communion without them, and the very word communion means... Communion, right? Like there's, there's this communion going on, this unity. So there's two issues. We, we tend to approach them this way. I'm not as important as you are, like I'm not good enough. Or we do it the opposite way, right? I am important, but you aren't. And we sin in both directions. If we don't value the people sitting across the other side of the room that we don't know, we're saying, I don't need you. And if we're also saying, oh, listen, I'm not good enough to do this, what you're saying is the Spirit didn't gift you enough to be a part of a church. And that's false. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Your role in the church matters. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, really quick. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, yes, he's being sarcastic, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, again, sarcasm, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Some people are elevating other members over others. And he says, listen, even if I have this, but I have not love, which is a mutual submission and sharing with the others, he says, I'm nothing. And he uses a bit of sarcasm. He uses a bit of hyperbole to get the point across that love for one another matters more than which particular gift God has given me. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, you're going to be surprised probably. Verse 4, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. 
It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Did Paul just bail and go to a wedding? Or is this verse not about a man and a woman? Yeah, that's the answer, by the way. This verse gets used all the time in weddings. There's nothing wrong with that, except for that a lot of us think that's what it's about. He's in a conversation about loving the people in the room in the church, and he's talking about there's a better way. Here's the better way. It's to love one another. He wraps it up. Verse 8, love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll fade away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. Verse 10, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. He finishes with, I will show you a better way than the things you're doing. And he says, love one another. Live in a sacrificial way with one another. Give to one another. Serve one another. Don't count how many times so-and-so did this wrong thing. Don't envy. Be. Love one another in the local church. Whether they have a gifting you understand or don't. Whether they have a gifting they understand or don't. Belong to one another in such a covenantal and committed way that it is rooted and grounded in loving one another in the very way that we think we talk about a man and a wife. And it's, it's good for that. Don't get me wrong. If you're planning a wedding, you can use the verse. That's fine. Understand that's not what it's written for, but it has application to that. But the point begins, remember how we said this paradigm is to teach us about this paradigm? The church is the thing where we are supposed to love one another with these terms, in these ways. And our relationships like a marriage teach us what our relationship in the church should look like. And he says there's a greater way, and it's love. Last note for the screen, what is membership in the church? Being members of a local church means learning to love the others who have covenanted together with you more than yourself for your own interests. To love others more than yourself or your own interests. When the Bible says love one another, it's not telling you to be a loving person. It's telling you to love the people in your church. Now, should you be loving outside the church? Yes. But it's calling you to live in such a way that the whole is greater than the individual parts. My body as a whole, old, sore, and out of shape as it is, is a greater thing than just the individual parts. We need to learn that, live that, feel that, and become that. So here's some takeaways. Here's some different categories today. I'm going to change the categories that we normally use, and I'm going to say it in a different way today. So what application will you make? Consider this. For me, it's easy to connect and be committed to those who are like me, but it's not so easy to be connected to others who are not. I want to focus on and remember that I need all of you, all of you who are in, a, in, a, in that covenantal members relationship. I need to know, I need to remember I need you. I, I know it here, but I need to live it better. There's my takeaway from the message. Church members, so those of you who have gone through that process and are already members, you have covenanted together to be a family. Do you take the time to know and care for all the other members and those who are incoming, right? We do that by praying for one another, getting to know one another, go out, have a meal together. Do you value the other members? Those 35-ish of you that are pursuing membership, you're pursuing, are, are, are you pursuing these relationships that are critical to your faith? Are you committed to being more about the whole body than about just yourself? Is that what you are aiming for when you say, I want to belong? For non-believers other, or others who are just not members for whatever reason, the gospel creates a new community centered on Jesus that is bigger than what we like, what ethnicity we are, what we do, how we're gifted. It is a family, and you're invited. For parents with kids, parents, you teach your children about the value of the local church as greater than other relationships, teams, neighbors, schools, etc. Do we see this? Do we teach this? Do we pass this on to our kids? 
Let's take a few minutes. What, what is your takeaway for today? What is something that was you heard that you want to apply to your life over the next week or two? Let's take a few minutes. Small groups, two or three is best, so we have enough time. Go for it.